What do y'all want to talk about? You want to talk about Branson? We already talked about Branson. <laughs> so much for that. Okay. Bring out that idea. <laughs> Sorry, Barb, you should have been there. Oh, right. Yeah. You're right. There's next year, though. That's right. Next year, right. Hey. Go listen to Jay Zoom. <laughs> yes, right. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm joking. Yeah, me too, by the way. I'm me joking. too. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah, I'd like to hear about Branson. <laughs> What, what do y'all um, want to hear? I don't know if it's something you want to hear, but maybe to just maybe elaborate on. The other day, I was coming back from Hampton Buddy, and we were—he was just talking about all these things that he's doing, all these things that he's uh, being a part of. And I guess in that time, I was uh, very vulnerable, and I felt like I was nothing. Felt like I was uh, doing nothing with my life. Felt like I was a bad parent, bad person. I'm. 36, don't have anything to add up to myself. And what I'm getting at more so is like, if you feel those things, let them out and let them be known. Yeah. <laughs> rather than keep them inside. Yeah. And um, lucky enough, I have an amazing wife and I came home and I immediately said all those things and I cried like a little baby and it felt great. Yeah. Um, I still feel those things, but it felt great to, uh, like, let them out, let them be known to God instead of just internal. Because sometimes when you do say it out loud, it allows you to hear it, and then sometimes you can reflect on it and say, "Wow, that was kind of stupid. That's there's really no need for you to feel that way," you know. And then you you uh, can reflect with God, and and as as you hear it out loud. You might not think you're talking to God, but in reality, you actually really are. Because he's always listening to you, whether he's in your thoughts or you are voiceably speaking it. And like I said, looking up at my wife and she just, you know, embraced. Yeah. In, in, that process, in that process where you came to the conclusion that it's foolish to think that way, what yeah. did, what did yeah. you see that caused you to... Oh, I have no clue. Like I said, I was literally, I don't even know like why that even came about. I was just hanging my friends, having a great time. I was driving home. We went, we went, uh, we went hunting that, uh, for the two days. And I was, as I was coming home, like I said, I, I, it's not like I had these thoughts. Well, I mean, I have obviously thought these thoughts. I think everybody probably thinks that. Um, but I mean, it just hit me like, like I got hit from left field running for a touchdown, didn't even see the guy, blindsided. I was just like... Fumbled at the one-yard line. And I was just like, I don't even, again, I have no idea where it even came from. It just hit me, and then I was like, I can't even fight this. Like, I was just, I literally was on the way home, and I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I need, I need help. I have no idea what the heck this is coming from. No. And then, like I said, I just came home, and it was like... <laughs> yeah, so, glory to God. So, so a couple of things just to, to explain. Because there is a reason that you felt like that, right? And honestly, you'll never be happy. You can feel relief, but it's not the gospel of relief. You can feel relief thinking everybody has heard those voices. And it's true. Everyone's heard those voices. Mm -hmm. And you can feel relief in getting it off of you, right? Um, and, and that's one of the dynamics that, that happened inside of you. It says, cast your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. Well, cast your cares upon the Lord isn't like some super spiritual like thing where you go get in your prayer closet it's that when you feel these things come to you when you feel a heavy weight when you feel all those voices coming to you you don't internalize it which is what men tend to do because we got to be strong and we got to deal with it right 
instead of internalizing it, you get it out with God. And getting it out with God doesn't necessarily look like a logical conversation. It could, but it could also just be crying with him like a little baby, like you're talking about. And there's a deeply powerful spiritual thing that's going on when you do that. It says when Jesus was filled with strong crying. It says when he was filled with strong crying, that he looked to the one, right, that could save him. He was casting his cares upon the Lord. And so you have that whole dynamic that was going on in you. But, you know, something about humans and feeling like their life is a waste, right? And, and hearing that voice and something that works to combat that. And people don't want to hear this in grace, right? So I'm so sorry to tell you guys all this, but I will. I will, because I don't care anymore. Right? You're actually designed to be part of a community. And within that community to see the gifts and callings in you that are from God coming out and to experience that, right? And it's a powerful thing when you experience that. The, the scripture says it's, it's, it's better to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And what that means is it's talking about a joy that comes al alive inside of you when you're able to get out of you all that's in you. Mm -hmm. And you're able to see it manifest in a community of people. That's how God felt. I mean, God was Elohim. He didn't lack anything. But he wanted to get out of himself what he had, and he wanted to do it in a community. And God wasn't thinking, well, that's legalistic. I don't have to be there. I don't have to have a community. I have God. All those things are true, but if you think all those things result in you being separated from a community instead of being knit together with the community, mm. where it says each joint being supplied mm. with grace or strength or the nutrients with which the gifts and callings that are in them can find themselves manifesting towards each joint to the edifying and building up of one another. Mm. I'm telling you, when you feel God coming out of you, you will feel very happy, Right? And you'll start to feel a satisfaction, and you'll start to feel like your life isn't wasting away, right? Now, that's not to say, if you find yourself on an island like John, that you're condemned to just be miserable, right? So please, don't listen anymore with the carnal mind. It's been 12 years. Yeah. Can we just accept that we've hammered the carnal mind to the tree? And can we just talk about what the life of God looks like and how it manifests without all the time thinking that it's legalistic? Amen. We've, we, we've nailed that. We've nailed that. Everybody knows we're talking about the fruit of God's life. We're not talking about the fruit that we need to produce in order to have life. Amen. Right? right. Amen. We're, we're past the point of looking at ourselves to think if we're doing it right and now judging whether we're righteous or we're condemning ourselves. Right? But that's why you felt what you felt. You can feel a loneliness. You can look at yourself and you can feel all these things inside of yourself. And if you don't find an outlet for it, you can feel frustrated, and you can feel lonely, and then you can start to hear the voice. Your life is a waste, right? Yeah. Like Jesus. He come and he emptied himself, right? But he emptied himself where? All alone by himself or inside of a community? But nobody wanted what he emptied, and he felt very discouraged and frustrated. Lord, I emptied myself, but it was in vain, right? There was no knitting together. No one received. No one heard. They rejected me. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I came to gather you to myself, but you would not. Mm. Right? And so, man, Paul talked, I say Paul, the author of Hebrews talked about not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. Right. Mm. And this is where it ties in with Branson. 
right? The forsaking of the assembly of ourselves together. We don't go to church out of some legalistic thing. Right. We don't go to church because we have to. Right. Yes, you can sit at home and watch on the video. And God will love you the same and so will we. Yeah. And we won't ask you, why weren't you here? We're not turning that into this. But when the author of Hebrews wrote that, he wasn't talking about an legalistic thing. He was talking about a body being braided together and coming together as one. With each member coming under the head and being supplied from the head. And in order of being supplied from the head, it would be the grace of God laboring in them, not themselves. But then that grace of God would produce something out of them that would bless and edify the body. And you get a body coming together to do that, which is why we even did Branson to begin with, which is why we didn't call it a conference, so it wouldn't become some mechanical, business, uh, institutional kind of a thing. We called it a gathering, so it would be like a family coming together, because so many people in our church are scattered, and they watch online. And it's fine to watch online. And you can see what they've been watching online bless them mightily when they showed up in Branson. And yeah. you know what? It, it caused an overflow out of them. Their cup runneth over. And do you know where their cup ran over at? In all of our presence. Yes. And then we were all blessed with the running over that came out of them. Right? Yes. And so it's a beautiful dynamic. But we're so used to thinking of what we're going to produce. What we're going to do to produce it. And if we don't do it and we don't produce it, then what do we have? And then we look at it that way. Mm-hmm. Instead of thinking the life of God produces something. Right? And then engaging with the life of God. We're the branch, we're not the vine. But out of engaging with the life of God, it brings something out of you. And it br- the thing it brings out of you results in the knitting together in love. Which is why all you guys are still here in spite of me. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> and so the not forsaking of your, the assembling of yourselves together. That's why we did Branson. And you could see it happen there. And I promise you, You feel frustrated if you don't have an outlet for what's in you. The world will try and come and and give language or a narrative to your thoughts. We call it a midlife crisis. Was my life worth anything? What have I really done? That's how the world comes to co-opt something that's going on in you that's actually a godly thing you might feel. But if you don't process it right, you end up with worldly language, earthy language. And then you end up tormented by the carnal mind. And then you end up trying to satisfy the pain of the carnal mind by you doing something. Right? right? But we don't live like that because we have the mind of Christ. And we can discern what's that feeling we have. Right? Where you could just say, no, no, no. My life isn't a waste. That's not what's going on here. It's just that I was made for family and community. Right? And that's what I'm missing. That's what I'm longing for. I'm not quite as engaged right now in community as I would like. I see all these things in me, right? I have everything in God. And I just find a frustration because I don't have as many outlets as I would like to get it out. Right? And now you're not judging your life as a waste. You're discerning yourself according to the knowledge of God. Right? Where you could even see yourself in the face of the Father. And you can see the father, he wasn't tormented when it was father, son, and spirit. But you know what he did think? He thought, I would like a community. And that's a worldly language. I would like a family. I would like there to be someone here that I could empty myself for, that I could lay down my life for. And he wasn't thinking of that in some legalistic way. What he was thinking of is, I have so much, 
My cup runneth over. There's no end to the increase of the life that's in me. And when I release it, it just increases and abounds in everything around. I want somewhere, someone, somebody to empty myself in the midst of. Right? That's what he felt. Well, guess what? We're the image of God. And so we also feel that. I mean, Thomas is busy with the candy bank. <clears throat> <laughs> well, forgive you need my... to rephrase that one <laughs> Thomas is building, busy constructing that building into a boutique hotel yes. okay. you think he's only doing that out of a selfish desire of what he likes or is he doing that to empty himself ultimately for someone else right and do you know what great joy he gets out of doing that and watching it grow because there's this thing in him. And if it's just in him, he'll be frustrated. If he can't get it out, if there's no outlet for Thomas to manifest or to be made manifest, he'll just feel frustrated. But as he finds an outlet for himself to be made manifest, man, he's looking around. He feels great joy. It is very good. Right? But if he didn't have that type of community or outlet, he would feel frustrated. Mm -hmm. This is why people have kids. This is why people even want to have kids. This is why we even do anything that we do. The problem is the world tries to point you to uh, satisfying that longing you have in ways that can never satisfy it, right? Like through a job, mm. right? Or through it, any of those things. Now, you can find satisfaction in how you think about the job that you do, but that's not what's going to satisfy your desire for community, right? Or to satisfy your desire to empty. It's, I hope you guys understand this when I say this. I hope we have nailed the carnal mind to the tree enough. I hope none of you take what I say and set up some law where you start judging yourself and you start asking, am I doing that? Right? right? Even if you think you're not doing it, the answer isn't to think about what you should be doing or what you shouldn't be doing. The answer is just to keep sitting at the feet of Jesus. So the answer is always a passive action whereby you see the one who will produce life in you. But listen, man, all of us want to empty ourselves. I mean, I even find myself thinking I'm getting a little bit older. And you know what I find myself thinking? I want to get out of me everything that's in me, right? I don't want to go to be with the Lord without emptying everything that's in me. And I'm even starting to think about all the different ways I can do that, hmm. right? Not legalistically, not as yeah. if I'm the power unto life, but just knowing this, this thing in me from God. It's like you're pregnant with life. Right. Mm -hmm. You are. You're pregnant with life. And if you don't get to empty it, if you don't get to pour it out, you're going to feel frustrated. Yep. And you'll start to feel like, what am I doing? You start to find yourself asking questions. We have the saying about idle hands, right? You guys know the cliche about idle hands. Where do you think that even comes from? We try to put language to this thing. This is why we did Branson. You want to talk about Branson? That's why we did it. Because we got a bunch of people in Bernie and I's church that are scattered and are all alone. And they never get to feel what it feels like for God to come out of them towards somebody else. Yes. That's why we did the group talks. So good. Thomas, you've been waiting patiently. Yeah, oh, I was just going to say, for those who are watching this video at some point in the future, before you got into letting something out of you, I whispered to Lisa, that's why you like theater. Yeah. Because she's done a lot of, yeah. a lot of community theater. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I say in a positive, loving way, she never met a spotlight that she doesn't like. <laughs> and that's not a cut. I, I don't like the spotlight because I'm self-conscious. Lisa, she, she, she just performs and she brings a lot of joy to people. And on the carnal mind issue, uh, the fact that we remind each other that's carnal thinking doesn't mean that we haven't grown and are understanding the carnal thinking. No. 
the carnal thinking would say what you said is okay i gotta find my role in the church and serve and i remember another church we were members of uh they had this uh deacons meeting and they put all these tasks that had to be done in the church you know pick up litter in the parking lot and greet people and 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 they basically say pick one <laughs> i was like this is nonsense this is not this there's nothing spiritual well there's nothing godly about this there's something spiritual in the sense of the spirit of satan but it was nothing there's nothing, there nothing godly about it because it's just like getting tasks done and uh, uh the last thing i would just add is uh I really, really love your transparency and the mm -hmm. fact that you could be so transparent in this group says something about what you think of us. Yeah. You trusted yeah. us to be tender with your heart. Yeah. And I, I, it's hard for a guy to do that. Yeah. Women, a culture, I think yeah. it's easier. For a guy, we're supposed to be this, that, and the other thing. Man, I love your transparency. Mm -hmm. When you go to God, I think the end of that conversation in terms of how you want to uh, pursue a passion is, it's gonna be something in the, in the uh, nature of let us. Yeah. yeah. You wanna do theater? Let, let's do theater. God isn't concerned about whether you do this, that, or the other thing, he wants to do it with you. Mm. <laughs> and so someone who's free, what can be godly about community theater? Well, Lisa has reached more people uh, in the gay community by just being Lisa that she has an avenue to show God to them that I'm telling you Fox News is not going to be able to reach okay because she's just being Lisa and God in her is enjoying theater mm -hmm. yeah and, and even this the community even you just coming here and sharing your weakness none of this conversation wouldn't have happened if you wouldn't have been here the conversation would have been completely different. It wouldn't have gone this way. We wouldn't have talked about any of this. Right? And so we, we, we don't understand the power of a people coming together underneath the head. Right? And all of us receive nutrients from the head instead of ourselves. Where we're not coming to suck life out of one another. Right? We're all coming knowing about the life. And, and to Thomas's point, it's not that we're going to stop nailing the carnal mind. I just wanted you guys to allow me to talk for a second, right? In in terms without taking it le legalistically. But yeah, he's exactly right. Whatever God brings forth by the power of his life, the carnal mind tries to mimic it and creates a a a similar looking narrative, but not really the same thing. And so the carnal mind will also try to fill out community, right? And that's not the kind of community that will ever satisfy you. Because then it's by your own strength. And what will end up happening is you might end up emptying yourself, but because it's by your own strength, you know what will end up happening? You'll end up getting angry with the people around you and whether or not they're appreciative. <laughs> I was just thinking about WWJD yesterday, cutting grass. Do you remember the bracelets? Right. What would Jesus do? Yeah. The carnal mind would say, Jesus took an action, take that same action. You know, they ask you a coat, give two coats, go two miles, whatever but the spiritual mind would say, yeah, WWJD, what did Jesus do? Nothing. Right. He rested. <laughs> that's what he did. And so that's 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 a great difference between the two communities. Yeah. You you might still empty yourself, but because you're not drawing from the life that, that runs over, 
you'll end up feeling like, look at everything I'm doing. What about them? You might get you someone like me. You might even do it for a while because I got like this will in me that I'll run myself into the ground and kill myself for people, right? But at the end of the day, if it's not from if you're not receiving nutrients from the head, you'll end up judging the people around you and what you think they're doing, mm-hmm. and if they're doing enough, and if they're doing their fair share, and then are they bringing their part to the community, right, Annette? Yeah, um, I'm so glad that you said that and shared that with us because yeah. now I can be transparent. <laughs> I um been going through some some stuff and um I woke up I woke up out of the sleep with this knowing oh I thought I was a disappointment and I had been feeling like a disappointment and you know the Lord just reassured me that I'm not, and you're not. Um, and he just, just spoke tenderly to my heart. And um, and I realized that I thought in my head that I was a disappointment to Matt. And so I went to him, the, you know, in the morning, and I said, and this is part of, you know, I, I've been feeling like this way. Like the Lord made me see that. This is what I'm feeling. Because I feel like ever since we got married, we haven't been married that long. But it's been like one physical freaking infirmity after another. And I'm like, this guy doesn't deserve this. You know, I'm not, I felt like a disappointment. And of course he reassured me that that's never been a thought, you know. Um, in his mind, and um, I just felt, thank you for saying that, because I could share that with everybody else here, too, and to encourage you that, um, and I know how hard it is for a guy to talk about that kind of stuff, and man, this is, not only do we have a father who adores us and is constantly persuading our heart of his goodness and faithfulness and love for us and healing us in so many ways. But we have a family that we can share that with. You see that dynamic though? You see how it works? I hope, one of the things I hope we can start to do is allow the presence of feeling dissatisfied with something without turning into a judgment, without it being turned into a judgment about ourselves. You see how quickly it turns, right? And one of the things the mind of Christ comes and does is it allows us to be able to feel that, right? Because the carnal mind will try to say, get to the place where you don't feel that. You're never going to get to the place where you're not going to feel that sometimes. But what can happen is the faith of the Son of God, Mm -hmm. the mind of Christ can begin to discern it, right? Where it doesn't turn into a personal slight or it doesn't turn into condemnation for you where it can be discerned and you could just say you know what i just feel deeply dissatisfied with the weakness that's been going on in my body period right and and where the the enemy no longer has the power to come and say that to us now as long as we feel that way we're just going to keep encouraging each other in the truth 
and keep being transparent. But I point that out for all of our own lives because all of us deal with that, right? Where we can start to discern it right because otherwise you end up judging yourself for feeling that way. Right. And you think the answer is, I got to get to the place where I don't feel that way. I promise you, that's the most laborious thing you'll ever be busy with in legalism, mm-hmm. is trying to get to the place where you never feel the frustration or the dissatisfaction or the feeling that something's not right. But have any of you noticed that any time you feel like something's not right, how quickly it turns into you're not right? Mm-hmm. How quickly the feeling of something's not right becomes an internalized thing where we're looking at ourselves and judging ourselves as unjust or unrighteous, mm-hmm. right? And, and what, the reason why I point that out, and thank you for being so transparent, <laughs> is so we can start to have that swimming around in our spirits with the Lord, right? That just because we feel a deep sense of dissatisfaction with something, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with us. Something can be wrong without it becoming something wrong with us, right? Otherwise, you'll end up like me on this hamster <laughs> wheel trying to get to the place where Nothing's ever wrong. And I promise you, I have felt great comfort. And it's actually worked about in me where I don't really feel that bad when things are wrong. Just by knowing that doesn't mean there's something wrong with me. And it's okay for me to say, this isn't right. Right? And so when the enemy tries to come and tell me something's wrong with you, Greg, do you know what I say in my heart now? I find myself saying, no, something's wrong with your system of death. Something's wrong with the life you built in this earth. Something's wrong with me being clothed in a perishable body. That's what something's wrong with. And the thing I'm feeling now is a result of just having a mortal body. That's what I'm feeling. And you're the one who got it right to build a body that could decay. Right? And you find yourself being encouraged in the Lord. Does that make sense, yeah. guys? Yeah. Yeah. I have a question. Uh, why does that happen? I mean, like, I know there's an ant. I mean, it's like all these thoughts that, what is... The reason it happens you know, is because we weren't created to that? feel weakness. We weren't created to see corruption or decay. It's like, see no evil, hear no evil, think no evil. We were created for innocence, where our conscience could never even be corrupted with the feeling of lack. Right? And so when we're confronted with the feeling, I'll call it a feeling because it isn't just a thought. You feel it in your freaking body. That's why it's so powerful. That's why you come home and just cry. Because you feel it in the depth of your being. That's called the result of having a mortal body. And when you're confronted with it, you're not going to like it. And if you don't know the truth and you don't know God and do like these two did where they got it out, right? You'll start trying to figure out why you feel the lack. Exactly. Right? And once you start trying to figure out how to feel it, do you know what tried to help you figure it out? The devil. The carnal mind, the wisdom of the world. And it starts giving you all these ideas about what's wrong. And because it points, always points to your ability and your strength to clothe yourself, its narrative is always centered around what's wrong with you and this is what you need to do to fix it, right? Instead of just getting with gosh and having it ironed out, right? Mo. I was just going to say, you know, we walked into church this morning and the first people I see is Heather and Joe with their baby. Mm -hmm. And and it's funny how perception is, okay? Because I looked at this couple and I thought to myself, that's the perfect couple. There ain't nothing wrong with these guys. And I I shook the baby's hand. (laughs) Everything was good. And then he comes in and tells me this stuff. But Everybody has emotions, mm-hmm. and, and 
something inside of them or outside of them that's telling them something negative about yourself. God is never negative about us. We think that way, and we have things in the world pointing to us that cause us to think negatively about ourselves. But God is always for us. Yeah. And, and what is good about opening up and sharing, you know how they say confession is good for the soul? I, that don't come from the Bible, and it's not going back to this confession thing from religion. But there is an element of truth to opening up your heart to God for him to renew your mind with the truth of how he thinks of you. We, we got perception. I thought this was the perfect couple, and I still think Yes. And I have perceptions of myself at times that are negative, yeah. but what do you do with that? those negative thoughts and those feelings? I'll, I'll answer that. Yes. As we speak, Nicholas is in the emergency room. Oh, really? Well, he's in a hospital. He was... Uh, he has an appendicitis, yeah, and he didn't want to have an operation, so they're treating with him. And anyway, he texted me. Lisa said, "Don't eat." Last night he was admitted, and he texted me. He says, "I'm so hungry," so he's feeling hunger pains. And I said, "Think Jesus on every hunger pain. You'll come to enjoy them." <laughs> yeah. So that's what you do with those pains. You think Jesus. And you, 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 you can actually get to the point where the pain becomes a joy. Right. Is, is, and, and so I want to keep building on what Mo said, because he highlights, too. There's, there, is it possible that everything was still perfect, even though he felt the way that he felt? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No doubt. Is it possible that he still has perfection, Absolutely. even though he felt the yes. way that he felt? Because we tend to say, I don't want to say we, the world would say no. Right? The world would say, in the day you feel that, that is the evidence that everything is not perfect. And then that piles on with the torment. Right? Is it possible that it's okay if we're actually groaning? Yes. Within yeah. ourselves, Absolutely. desiring to see life manifest, yeah. is that okay? Yeah. Is is it possible that maybe that's what's going on yeah. when we feel weakness? That it's just a groaning to see the life that we have now in God, the perfection that we have, well, we have now manifested, and that we could discern it that way. Have, have you ever considered that that God is even groaning? And I use God as a picture because none of us would think it would be a negative thing if God was groaning. (laughs) Is it possible that God has a groaning within himself, desiring to see his creation glorified and mankind glorified? Hmm. Is it possible that he sees that? Why isn't the groaning a negative thing for him? Why isn't it some sign of imperfection for him? I I, I think it's only possible for God to do that if it's characterized as not being lack. He doesn't feel lack exactly. when he feels it. Right. 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 Why not? 
These are the conversations God can get you caught up into. And he doesn't do it to have some heady theological conversation with you. God never tries to have a heady theological conversation with you. Although it could be looking that way or look like it's initiated that way. All of the conversations God's trying to have with you, I promise you, is trying to discern what's in your heart. And to unveil what's in his heart. Because if you can see what's going on in you, and then you could see how it works in him. You can find his heart discerning your heart, which would be to the end of his heart working inside of you, right? Or being born in you. And not just in some mystical sense where because we were taught so long in religion that our hearts are evil and ugly that we just say, but I have a new heart. And we don't want to hear about God's heart being born in us, right? But th that's the, the conversation. And so, I mean, to most point. He had a perception. The perception was they were perfect. And this guy stands up and says, things are not so perfect. <laughs> or they're not feeling so perfect. Yeah. But do you see what Marie said? By the way, I still perceive that they're perfect. Right? And Hebrews would come and say that God perfected us once for all times. Right? So is it, and just to discern our hearts, because the voice of the stranger will come and say, in the day you feel that way, then that is the sign something's wrong, right? But is the voice of the shepherd there telling you, because you feel this way, that's the sign something's wrong? Or will the voice of the shepherd say, I have hedged you about yes. in myself. Yes. And not only am I the sheepfold, but I'm the door. And my life is the rod and the staff guarding the door. And there's no wolves or thieves that can climb up and take you from the sheephold or steal your life from you. Mm -hmm. And then you could begin to discern the weakness you feel accurately, right? And you cannot think it's a sign that you're lacking what you need for life, right? And you start discerning it differently. You want to hear just a, a view? I saw, I looked up groaning in the scriptures. Mm -hmm. The first place it's, it's mentioned is in Exodus. Listen to what it says. And it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, you know, the one that knew Joseph. And the, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage, and they cried, and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groan and remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. And he looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. He showed respect unto them. And I believe that that is meant to communicate that when we feel that groaning, that we go to God, look to God, and, and we find the respect that comes to us from him. And, and, and when you find his respect, you begin to feel respected. You're gonna, it's going to cause you to feel respected and at rest, and, and it, it'll remove the fear that we have. Hey, you, you'll see you're groaning for life, and then you'll see that God swore by himself yeah. to give you the life you're groaning for. Yes. And then you'll see, you know, like it says, because God can swear by no one greater than himself, he swore by himself. Well, you see that depicted in Abraham, where Abraham went to sleep. Well, what did Abraham want? What did Abraham need, actually? He needed the deadness of his body to be overcome. Right. Because how can he be fruitful when there's deadness in his body and deadness in Sarah's womb? 
And so God puts Abraham to sleep, and he swore by himself, and then the fire, and then the lamp that is the light. Well, John comes and describes Jesus as the light that walked through the animals, right? Well, then he says that the light is the life of God. In Jesus is life. And the life was the light of men. And so what it's saying there is when God could swear by nothing greater than the life he has in himself, he swore by his life that he would raise Abraham up out of the deadness of his body, that he would raise Sarah up out of the deadness of her body. And do you know why he would swear by the life he has in himself? Because he's got an indestructible life. He's got an incorruptible life. He's got a seed in himself that isn't subject to death. He's got a seed in himself that overcomes death. That's why he swore by himself. That's what makes it immutable. That's why Abraham became the father of many nations, because he, what he needed was the deadness in his body to be overcome. What shall you give me in light of this deadness? Well, God says, I got a life in myself that overcomes deadness. And then Abraham saw God has a life in himself that overcomes deadness. That's why he said God will provide himself a lamb. God can even raise the dead. And so Abraham saw the reason why the promise was immutable, the reason why he knew he would overcome the deadness in his body is because he saw God has a life in himself that raises the dead. Yes, That's what made the promise of life immutable. And that's what God was promising by. Jesus is actually God swearing by himself. Raising Jesus from the dead is God swearing by himself because Jesus is the manifestation of the life of God. And that is God swearing life to us. Yes. And because we all have deadness in our bodies and deadness in the world, we needed to see that there's a life that overcomes the grave. And that makes the promise immutable. Right? Right? right. Yeah. You see? Yeah. Yes. Not to get all theological, but... No. <laughs> you can read these statements in the Bible and you know they're dripping. But you're like, what the heck does that mean? And you, 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 we struggle sometimes to make the connection between what God was saying because it involved Abraham. Well, when did God swear by himself with Abraham? Okay, now you see the fire walking through the middle of the animals and you see the light. And then you start to think, well, what did God promise Abraham? That he would be exceedingly fruitful. Right, right. Right? Okay, well, <laughs> yeah. Abraham had was full of death. And so what would Abraham need to be able to believe in order that, to see he could become fruitful? That there's a life that can overcome death in the flesh. Right. Okay. That's when God comes and says, I am the almighty God. Right? That's the same thing that happened at the resurrection. That's why the promise is immutable. Yeah. Right? right. He swore by himself. Right. By the life I have in myself, I swear. Promising, mm. I promise you. Right? Yeah. It isn't just like the words... I promise you, and now we're just going to believe because God's God. Yeah. Right? No. There's something that brings forth a conviction that it, it's true. Yeah. Right? Mm. And that's what's immutable. That, that's why the resurrection is so powerful, because it shows us the promise of life is immutable. That lying, God cannot lie. Right? He can't lie. Well, when the world came into being, do you know what the world said? God lied. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you know what it said? The promise has been made void. Look at your death. What shall God give you in light of the deadness in your body? Isn't that what Abraham said when God first come and told him, you'll be the father of many nations? What shall you, I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. What shall you give me, Lord? Look at this. Yeah, like that was the end of the story. Right. Well, that's what the world was saying. The promise has been made void. You can't make the promise of God giving you his life, which is what he is. He vows his life to you. The same way you vowed your life to Cindy. Right. The same way you vowed your life to Lisa. He vowed his life to us. 
Yeah. Right? And the only way you can make his, his vow void is if you reject it and try to give yourself his life by your own works. Right. That's the only... Death can't keep God's promise from coming to pass. Do you know why? Because when he vowed to you, he vowed his life to you. Well, guess what? His life can't die. So how can death keep the vow of his life from coming to pass? Can it I? can't. And the only thing that can keep his vow from coming to pass, because he has an indestructible life, is if you try to have an indestructible life by your own working, right. which is what Paul come and said. He said that you make the promise void by mm. thinking you can gain it through the works of the law mm. or by performing the works of the law or by the strength of your own hand. Yeah. That's why it's immutable. Because it's based upon the shoulders of an indestructible life. Right? I like Bertie's uh, definition of grace. Uh, it's the first time I heard it at the conference. The conference, excuse me, the gathering. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Forgive me, Father Phelps. <laughs> uh, that's one check mark. Yes, right. <laughs> I'm raising it right here. Uh, he said that great, grace is the power of God to keep his promise of, of life. Yeah. And I thought that was an awesome uh, <coughs> uh, way of putting it. And also, Phelan, is that how you pronounce Phelan, yeah. I, I really liked his metaphor, living above the snake line. Yes. Living living from resurrection life is living above the snake line. Mm -hmm. Real quick, for those who haven't heard it, at a certain elevation, snakes won't live. If you're living above that line, you're living above the snake line. So you're living above the sin and death in the world because of resurrection life in you. Yeah, because heaven and earth have collided in you. Yeah. yeah. And the, the grace of God is contained in his life. Yeah. Right? The strength of God to bring about the promise is contained in his life. Yeah. So when God swore by himself, that means he vowed a vow to us. He vowed his life to us. He told us that he is committed to our life. He has committed himself in his life to us. Right? Now, within his life, is the grace to bring about what he promised. Yes. Right? That Jesus is God's life. Jesus is God's life manifest. That's the whole point of calling him a son. That's the whole point of calling him the son of God. Go look it up, what it means in the Hebrew to be a son. It doesn't just talk about a person that was born because of a father. It's talking about something much more, uh, what do I want to say? Profound. Something, yeah, much more profound. In, in fact, the closest you're going to find in the scriptures is where Hebrews says that Jesus is the express image of God. Right. And go and look what it means to be the express image of something. Right? That was the point of Jesus being called the Son of God. It would be the equivalent of saying God himself is here. Mm -hmm. That's why you would call him Son. Mm -hmm. Because you're the express image. Mm -hmm. Right? It, it, it's like if you saw my dad in his pictures when he was young. And you can even see now. But if you looked at my dad in high school and you went and looked at me, you would see a spitting image. <laughs> so much to the degree that you could even say that I am my father mm. and my father is me. Mm. When you looked at us. And that's the point there. And so we missed that Jesus is the life of God made manifest. And the reason why Jesus was full of grace is because he is the life of God. And life, God's life is full of strength. Mm. Right? Full of strength to do what? To conquer death and bring about the promise of his life. Right? And it isn't just the promise of life. Right? Because it's not just any kind of life that he promises us. And this should go without saying, but in case it doesn't go without saying, he promised us his life. Not a life. And you can get it twisted in your head if you think he promised you a life. Because then you could get caught up still in judging your life. 
But the promise that he made to you is that he promised you his life. And now that life, if you're thinking about it, starts to discern your life. And if you see death in your world, guess what your mind would jump to if you say he promised you a life? You could think, how can I live? How can I survive? Look at this life. But if it's he promised his life and you find yourself encompassed by death, do you know what you'll start thinking about? His life is indestructible. His life overcomes death in the flesh. There's no darkness in his life. There's no spots or blemishes in his life. And now you'll start finding that being born in you. And you'll start finding yourself feeling like the psalmist. When he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I do not lack. He maketh me to lie down by the tender green grass. He saw the life of God. The psalmist saw God's life exalted in his midst, and that shrunk the effect of death, right? The, he promised his life to the point you would even want to say, listen, when I, when I asked Becky to marry me, when I got down on one knee and proposed, I didn't just promise her my life. That was a subconscious declaration of what I was saying. I was promising her my life. But you know what I was promising her? Myself. But in promising her myself, I'm promising her the life I have. And I'm dedicating my life to her. That's what God did. That's the promise. It's a proposal where he proposes himself to you. Just like I proposed myself to Becky. Well, Becky thought about marrying me. Do you think she just looked at me on one knee and thought, well, that's a nice gesture? I do. No. You know what she thought about? What kind of life I have to offer. What's life going to be like if I hook up with this guy? Exactly. Do you see how she was thinking of my life and not her own life? And do you see how her thoughts could then now become begin to be shaped by the life I had in myself? Right? Yeah, real, real quick, I just wanted to, to, to add, too, you're talking about a couple of things, but we'll see what I get to. Um, uh, being in the sheepfold and feeling and not lacking life, you know, and just feeling whole and complete and per, you know, the perfection of God and my presence with him and all of that. Um, and I feel like that's what the faith has produced in yeah. my heart, you know, especially during um, I stayed home and that went to you know, to Branson for those who don't know. Um, but he could, I could let him go still feeling like I lacked nothing. My father was with me, mm. you know, the whole time. And I totally felt his presence being braided together with him, being braided together with all of you. You know, it was just like, I was there, but you know, physically in the body, I wasn't there. And it really showed me too, of how I look to him for everything that I need. Um, and I'm not looking to Matt. I mean, I'm so glad I have him, but <laughs> I do need him too. But I could let him go and he could also go. We both knew we prayed before, not really having any answers yet because I was going to go to the ER. Um, and uh, he could leave knowing, you know, that what God was speaking in his heart. And I could leave knowing and, and instead of thinking, you need to stay home with me. You know, I need him to be home with me, you know, or saying, oh, you can go. It's okay. You can go, you know, and then thinking, you know, and, you know, he should know that I really don't want him to go. And then having all these accusations coming up inside of me, I truly could let him go and feel totally loved. And I had such peace. And, um, 
And it wasn't until after he came home that some of this, there was an un, that underlying disappointment was there. I didn't know. I really didn't know it was there. I mean, sure, the stuff presses in on you and stuff, and I was angry about it, but um, coming against me. But for the most part, I felt completely safe. And it was afterwards that God, there was something there that God wanted to bring out so that I could really be set free. Yeah. You know, I just thank you so much for preaching <laughs> the faith and the gospel and the spirit of Christ, you know, all and, of that. And um, there's more, but go oh, ahead. No, no, go ahead. Yeah, just real quick. The, you were talking about God swore by himself. And I recently just saw something in Revelation 19 where, you know, it says on his thigh is written king of kings and lord of lords you know he's also the faithful and true one and the word of god but um that that saying there and i, I looked up thigh and it's um to be fruitful <laughs> and um also how they swore an oath was under the right thigh right mm -hmm. and so i just saw like you know that's also like where a soldier would keep his sword and his right side covered up. So I don't know if it's engraved on his thigh or it's the covering that says that on his, you know, over the sword. But I just thought that's mm. that's his sword. He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Mm. Yeah. And he's the, you know, the spirit of life, you know, and that's, he conquered death. Yeah. <laughs> that will never, that will be forever written, you know. And, yeah. and so that just yeah. was like, whoa. You know, and the fruitfulness that he's, of life that he's given to all of us. So. Yeah. Faithful is the one who has an indestructible life. Yeah. That's why faithful is the one who promised. Right? Yeah. And to Annette's point, you know, you to what you said before, when when you begin walking in this, you could even say to Matt, I'm sorry. Yeah. About what's going on. But not from a self-deprecating way. Right? But just the two of you coming together as one flesh and just grieving about or groaning together right about the death i know i'm groaning and you're groaning with me right and it's not like a guilt kind of a thing because we attach guilt with saying you're sorry right god will even come and remove that i don't tell people i'm sorry because i feel guilty that's not why i tell people i'm sorry i tell people i'm sorry because they're suffering and they're hurting or they're hurt right or they feel hurt by something I'm involved in or something that I see or even maybe something I've done. But that's why I'd say sorry. I don't mm -hmm. feel guilty right. about it. I feel sorry because I see they're being hurt and they're being stung by death. Right? Glory to God. We could be here all night.